I have here in my hand the book of Exodus. I have here in my studio the author of the best-selling Bible commentary in America right now on the book of Exodus, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Dennis Prager. But before we get to the book or to the man, Dallas Baptist University is a comprehensive Christ-centered, nationally ranked university with a mission to produce the next generation of servant leaders. DBU graduates are men and women of a deep faith who strive to reflect the values of genuine patriotism. They can be found leading in the classrooms, the courtrooms, the boardrooms, and beyond all throughout our country and around the world. To learn more about the value of a DBU education and how you or your student may be eligible to receive a $1,000 scholarship, visit PragerU.com slash DBU. Dennis. Yes. That you were here on the very first episode of this show. That's right. We were discussing Victor Frankl. And you haven't invited me back. (laughs) That was like three years ago. That was about 100 years ago. Just for the record. It was how I now date the world. Uh, what was it? Uh, let's see, uh, yeah. BC before COVID. Before COVID, it was I BC. I have a new BC. Mm-hmm. It was, and now we're. I guess we're never getting into the land after COVID. Uh, but I, I do wish that uh, someone would come along and let our people be free again, because oh, we. <laughs> it's isn't that isn't that appropriate? This is a book that you've thought about for oh I don't know. Uh, 60 years now? Well, you could say that since I was a child. Yes, yes. I mean I, I learned it in Hebrew as a child. Uh, I just I just note that my my Bible commentary Exodus and Genesis are out Deuteronomy is coming out, and of course I'm doing the first five books so Leviticus and Numbers follow. I couldn't do it if I didn't have this tremendous grounding in biblical Hebrew. Hmm. That has really made it possible. I have I, I hope that I, I believe important insights, but they wouldn't be available if I didn't know uh, the Hebrew. I think you can write a commentary on crime and punishment if you don't know Russian. Mm. But I'm not sure you could do it on the Bible if you don't know Hebrew. If you don't know the Hebrew. Well, I I really, really enjoyed your commentary. It it seems so silly to even have to summarize a book of the Bible. But the fact fact is, Dennis, biblical literacy today is basically non-existent. non-existent. Even I, I was cradle Catholic, kind of fell away from the religion as a teenager. Even when I went to college, I really didn't know very much of the Bible, even the five books of Moses. So would you mind in a minute or so summarizing? I will, but I just want to, I, I want to emphasize how much I agree with your point. I, I want our Will Witt, who goes and interviews people on the street, I want him to go to Harvard. Yeah, right. I'm serious. Right. And ask just passers-by, do you know what Leviticus is? Yeah. And I, and I picked that. A, it's one of the first five books, so it's monumental in importance. It's got love your neighbor as yourself, among other things. But because that's on the Liberty Bell. The yeah. founders knew the Bible so well that they took a verse from Leviticus. It's the only thing inscribed on the Liberty Bell. Hmm. Proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. That's uh, Leviticus 25. Do you realize how well they knew their stuff? Yep. And today, if you would say, what's Leviticus? I, I, have a, I have a fun question, I would say. So here's a multiple choice. Leviticus, uh, the horse that won the last Preakness, <laughs> a book a book of the Bible, yeah. and then, you know, something else. Yeah, the, the latest uh, virus that's going yes, around. Oh, that's yes. right. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yes, that's right. After Omicron, 
is Leviticus. Well, and you think, when, when you look not just at the Liberty Bell, but you look at the early charters for Rhode Island, Connecticut, for all these early American colonies and become states, they would quote Deuteronomy. They would quote exactly. uh, like, d- verbatim, and now yes. the biblical literacy is really dropped. All of which is to say, for those who don't know what Exodus is okay, about. Okay, so Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and it is about the Israelites living in Egypt, and uh, the Pharaoh, the demigod, literally, a god-man, uh, a leader, ruler of the Egyptians, says, let's make these uh, Hebrews into slaves. Yep. They're getting too big and let's make them slaves. They are rendered slaves, they suffer for hundreds of years, and then God uh, decides it is time to take them out, appoints this man Moses, who was raised an Egyptian, is a fascinating aspect of the story. Mm. Pharaoh ordered all the Hebrew boy babies to be drowned in the Nile. And the midwives refused, and you know why? It says why, It's, it's one of the most important lines, as I point out in my commentary. It says the midwives feared God. Hmm. In other words, if you fear God, you won't fear Pharaoh. Or as I tell people today, you have a choice. You either fear God or you fear the New York Times. You have a choice. (laughs) And I mean that literally. It's a lower Uh, order God. Well, yes, but but, but for many, what will they say about me, whether the they is the New York Times or Facebook, that is what people fear. Hmm. Not God, right. including a lot of religious people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. So this is huge. They refuse to kill the Hebrew babies. Yeah. And then Moses is saved as a baby by the daughter of Pharaoh, which is an amazing thing. The Pharaoh orders their extermination, and his own daughter saves one of them. He grows up an Egyptian. God tells him at the famous Burning Bush episode, I want you to take the, the, the Jews out of Egypt. Moses does not want to do this. He is extremely happy to be a shepherd. Yeah. He, he, by the way, great leaders don't want to be leaders generally. Yeah. They, they, they are not power hungry. And Moses is the perfect example. And he has a speech impediment to boot. So uh, God says, okay, Aaron, your brother will do the speaking for you. And anyway, so he demands of Pharaoh, let my people go, the most famous a slave liberation story in the history of the world. And they are finally, after 10 plagues, they are liberated. God splits the sea as a, in a miracle and lets them through. And the, the seas come back and, and drown the Egyptian army trying to bring them back. And then they go uh, to Mount Sinai, receive the Ten Commandments. Moses goes up for the Ten Commandments and is up there for 40 days and 40 nights. They get very antsy. Their leader's not there. They build a golden calf, and they worship it. And uh, Moses is is beyond despair. He, he actually breaks the tablets of the Ten Commandments, has to go for a second a set of the commandments. I explained the Ten Commandments, uh, the greatest document in history. My, my dream in life is, is to spread the Ten Commandments to the world. That is, if I had to summarize my, my life's mission, it is that. Uh, as I say frequently, you want to defund the police? So do I. <laughs> Have everybody observe the Ten Commandments. Right. Then you don't need the police. Then you don't need the police. Now, this raises a question all the way back at the very beginning. The Israelites, the Hebrews, whatever word you want to use, they're slaves in Egypt. But hold on. Joseph, as I recall from the prequel to this book, Joseph 
is effectively the prime minister of Egypt. He's got a very important position. He's got a lot of influence. He brings his people, his kinsmen, to Egypt voluntarily. He gets them a nice plot of land, and everybody's happy. So how come the Egyptians, who like Joseph, who seem to like his family well enough, why do they enslave the Jews? Well, I couldn't have had you ask a better question because it leads to what I try to do with my commentary. There is a line in the very beginning of Exodus, and a new pharaoh arose in Egypt, and I have to translate from the Hebrew, who did not know Joseph. So there was no more gratitude. Hmm. And that is the that is the issue of life people forget what happened that it's the embodiment of the problem people forget the good they forget the bad they people think in every generation basically this is the first generation in history that's (laughs) that's the human mindset right Right. So they forget Joseph had saved the Egyptians from these terrible famines. Yes, and they that's forget right. that. Now they enslave. I, but I think there might be another reason, too. So I entirely agree with that. But the text seems to suggest that the Egyptians saw that the Jews were strong. They had right. their own traditions. They had their own mm-hmm. culture. And their own numerous. And getting numerous. And they were getting numerous. They yeah. were growing and growing and growing. They said, you know, we got to keep a hold on this or else we're going to lose our political order. The the joke is they were not nearly as numerous as the Egyptians. It's really, it's really another adumbration of, of semitism throughout history. Oh, they're getting too powerful. Jews were 1% of Germany. They're too powerful. The 99% of non-Jews were not powerful. The 1% of Jews were, but, but that, that has been, the, the eerie thing is to read this and go, wow, it just keeps happening. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So then we get to this point where, where Moses, who's raised an Egyptian, he realizes, well, I'm, I'm a little different. Hold on a second here. I'm going to go. And he, he says the most famous line, one of the most famous lines in the Bible, let the Lord says, let my people go. Let my people be free. Mm-hmm. But that's not the whole line. Let my people go that they may serve me. That's right. This seems to be an important distinction. Well, that not only important, it, it, it's the, the point. The purpose of the Exodus was to receive the Ten Commandments, the covenant of the law, as it's, it's also called. That, that, or as Jews later would understand it, to receive the Torah, if you will, but, but literally the Ten Commandments. The purpose of, if the only purpose of the Exodus was to free slaves, one could totally, uh, honestly ask, well, why did God do it to, to the Jews? Why didn't he, why didn't he say every, every nation on earth right. had slavery? Yeah. Uh, but the purpose of, of this was not just to liberate slaves. It was to give them the moral direction yeah. to then spread the idea of a God who wants people to be moral to the world. So you've got God saying to his people, I'm not just setting you free so you can go do whatever you want. I'm setting you free for this very specific purpose, that you may serve me, that That's you may right. receive these commandments, and that you may worship me in a very specific way. Something that seems a little strange when you read Exodus is that a whole large chunk of that book is dedicated to a very detailed description 
of how the Jews will build the Ark of the Covenant for the worship the of tabernacle, God. The yeah. tabernacle. The mm-hmm. tabernacle. And in, you'll, you'll have acacia wood here and this kind right. of... How do, why? why? Why does so God do that? I have a number of explanations for the details uh, in no order of importance. One is to prevent corruption so that the authorities can say, you know, uh, we need the following amount of gold, yeah. the following amount of silver, mm. thank you, somewhat, you know, like the Los Angeles City Council. Uh, <laughs> it, it, but, or, or th- to be honest, any city council yeah. in, in the world. Uh, the amount of corruption in, in, uh, in, in making highways or, or buildings is, is, is wow. awesome. And that's because they just keep demanding. This thing is so detailed, there could be no corruption. Hmm. This is exactly how much valuable stuff you are to give. Yeah. So that's one reason. Another is uh, an argument that I make, God cares about beauty. Yes. And uh, we, we live in the age of the ugly. We, the last hundred years, the West has celebrated ugly. Yeah. In, in architecture, in art, yeah. in music. And God wants us to honor him through beauty. And he chooses, interestingly, the chief artist is called, uh, in English, I guess it's Bezalel. Is that it? Bezalel? But yes, I've never known exactly how okay, to pronounce right. it. But well, yes, I know yeah. how to pronounce it in Hebrew, Bezalel. Yeah. It means literally in, in the shadow of God. Because you, the, the truth is, if you don't produce art in, in some way for God's sake, yeah. you'll produce ugliness. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's a big theory I have because I'm into classical music. You know, I conduct orchestras. And I, I asked one of the leading Bach conductors in the world, John Elliott Gardner, on my radio show. So I, I thought, and I was sure the guy was completely secular, but I still bounced this off him. Said, it's my theory, maestro uh, Gardner, that uh, the secular world, uh, the godless world, is not going to produce as great art as a God-centered world. Yeah. He said, you're 100% right. Yeah, of course, of course. And I'm so glad you mentioned it because we have this cult of ugliness. We have, you know, the hideous architecture and the music and the paintings. And, a, and, and we have people tell us that actually in religion, we, don't, we shouldn't have beauty. It should just be all about your own thoughts. You might call them iconoclasts. And it raises a, a really strange moment in Exodus where God says, you shall not make any graven images. You shall not make any images or representations of things in heaven. And then five seconds later, God says, also, get a bunch of gold and make statues of angels and put those statues of angels on the tabernacle. This seems like a contradiction. Right. You don't make your own graven images and worship them. These angels in in the tabernacle were not to be worshipped. Right. They are the servants of God. They are beauty. Look, when I, I'm not a Christian. Yeah. I'm not a Catholic. I'm not a Protestant. I'm a big fan, but, but, uh, <laughs> long time uh, fan. First time yeah, long time fan. Uh, but when I walk into a cathedral, yeah, of course, I, I, I feel God's presence. I fully acknowledge it. Of course. And if I, and I don't like, I mean, I, I lament Synagogues were beautiful in, in Europe. Synagogues were beautiful in, in early 20th century uh, uh, the United States. Yeah. And then they decided basically to, to build warehouses w- with an ark for the Torah scroll in it. Yeah, that's right. No, and the same thing happened to Protestant churches. Right. And it happened to Catholic churches in the 70s and 80s in America. And it's, 
it, it is very sad because when you walk in to a Gothic cathedral, say, you, you are overwhelmed. You are in awe That's at right. this majesty. You, you recognize your right. place. And, and you see in Exodus, God is very specific about how he wants to be worshipped. It's not, it's not up to Moses or, or anyone else to decide quite how to worship God. God will tell you, and, and God will be right. There is place for spontaneous prayer, obviously. Of but when people are left to their own devices and, and you, you end up with rock bands at church, yeah. I think it's beautiful that you can you know, inspire people with any type of music and all that. But nevertheless, we have lost something precious. I was shocked when I spoke about how important it is to dress nicely for church or, or synagogue. Yeah. God doesn't care how you dress in your house, but God does care how you dress with your religious community. Yeah. So if I invited you to Buckingham Palace, yeah. would you wear what you wear to church? Right. And, and then there's silence. So to meet a nice old German lady called the Queen of England, you would dress in the best clothing you have. Best you have. But to go see God. Nope. nope. Just wear a sports jersey or something. Yeah. So Flip-flops. This, this raises a part at the, at the end of the description of building the ark and the tabernacle. God describes, and Moses describes, I guess, for us, what God is saying about what the priests should wear. And there are very specific that's, instructions that's for right. what the priests wear. Well, that, that, that embodies my argument. Clothing is extremely important. Yeah. You look at the way men went to baseball games, yeah. or women too, in the 50s, you would think they were going to a wedding. <laughs> to the opera. I'm not right, to the <laughs> right, opera. Right. Uh, uh, jackets and ties, mm -hmm. uh, hats, uh, the women in beautiful uh, dresses uh, uh, and skirts. Uh, it, it, it's it's a phenomenon to look at. Or going on an airplane. Yeah. Today, to, there is no difference between dress on an airplane and a Greyhound bus. No. N none whatsoever. And people think it's terrific. But we have lost something. Yes. By the way, so I I believe in that deeply. I go through the airports, I wear a shirt and tie. I know I am treated better. Yeah. I, there is no doubt in the world. Flight attendants treat you differently. Mm -hmm. Everyone watching this should do that test. Yeah. See how you are treated going with a, with, um, in a t-shirt and shorts yeah. or a polo shirt and shorts and see how you're treated if you wear a shirt and tie, if you're a man or, or equal, equivalent in, in, a woman, in women's clothing. And, and Kids in school, yeah. kids who have dress codes, uh, fight less, curse less, yeah. and get better grades. And by the way, you know, part of it is because we think that when you wear nice clothing, it's to, I don't know, puff yourself up or something. But it, it's really the opposite. You're honoring others. You're honoring others. You're exactly. taking the personality. You know, when I dress up in seven different kind of crazy earrings and ripped clothing and all this, I am drawing as much attention to myself as I oh, possibly can. Oh, what a great can. point. Exactly. And correct. so when, when God says to the priests, dress in this very ordinary, yes. specific way, what he's, what he's really seems to be saying is, you are not the one who matters here. You are directing the attention to me, That's to God. right. You got it. That is exactly right. There's another reason for the very strict codes for the priests, because the, the priests of pagan religions uh, were, were uh, semi-naked often. Hmm. There was a very deep sexual element uh, to religion. One of the great achievements of the Torah uh, is the desexualization of God, and the desexualization of religion. Hmm. Oh, and third, the desexualization of the family.
Now, what, what do you mean by the, you mean making it less? God is not a sexual being. Yeah. God, okay. God ha, ha, has no intercourse, neither with humans nor other gods. Every other god in the world did. Hmm. Right, you think of Zeus. Zeus is they always all sleeping they around. They all did, yes, all right. that's right. Now, we, we can understand why it's good to wear edifying sort of clothing and behave in an edifying way, and God wants you to worship him that way. But then the question is, what was so bad about worshiping the golden calf? Because, look, I know it's bad. I know God says don't do it. But in my mind, you just get this image of a bunch of people sort of bowing down to a golden It seems stupid. It seems silly. What, what is so evil about it? The essence of uh, the biblical message in, in the Torah and, and, and in the whole Old Testament, and I think carried on in the New Testament, but certainly in the Old Testament, which I know much better, the Hebrew, uh, is that there is one God. Why is one important? Because then there's one moral rule. Two gods is two moralities. Mm. One God is one morality. The, the essence of, of, the, of the biblical God is a moral being, a moral judge. That's the essence. I mean, there are many other aspects. God is merciful and, and loving and all that, but nevertheless, that's the most important. The moment you compromise on that, you have you have busted ethical monotheism, hmm. the one God, one ethic for all human beings. And uh, what it what happened with the golden calf was a reversion to Egypt. Why was it a golden calf? Because they worshipped calves in 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 in, in Egypt. Hmm. So. And, and it was a way of saying everything that just happened, the 10 plagues, the manna, as I was talking about, the split, uh, the split sea, everything means nothing to us. We're going back to Egypt in our religiosity. Right. Well, and you see even that lack of trust with the manna. So, so they don't have any food in the wilderness. And so God says, I'm going to bring you manna from heaven. These little delicious flakes that are just going to come, they're going to appear and you're going to eat it, but don't store them up for the next day. If you store them up, they're going to go rotten. And what do the Jews do? They don't trust their God. So they store them up and they get lots of worms and they go rotten. Then on the Sabbath, he says, listen, there's not going to be any manna coming to you tomorrow. So we're going to give you enough manna for two days. Save it for the Sabbath. You're not to do any work on the Sabbath. And what happens? The people who do not trust their God, they gobble it all up because they don't want it to go rotten like the other stuff did. And what happens? They're hungry the next day. There's this, it, you see miracle after miracle after miracle. Which, by the way, I, I talk about a lot. Yeah. People think that, oh, I would believe in God if, if, I, if I only saw a miracle. And, and th this book is there to tell you, no, no, no way. Yeah. You for five seconds. That's correct. Yeah. It has about a five-second half-life. Mm -hmm. that, that is how, how long miracles last in, yeah. in, in their effect on people. Speaking of the miracles and, and the plagues, though it is, it is worth pointing out, you do a great job in the commentary discussing this. I always wondered why these plagues, why you've got the frogs and the this and the what, like what, what is the significance? Is it just this random display of I'm God, I'm powerful, I can do whatever I want, or is there something deeper there? Well, I do explain that. Every one of the 10 plagues was, except for the firstborn, the first nine plagues were all against gods of Egypt. And it says so. I didn't, I didn't make this up. Yeah. And in, in their gods, he rendered judgment. Yeah. So, for example, the first is the Nile. Nile was a major god in Egypt, and God turns it into blood. Yeah. The ninth is darkness. The major god was Ra, the sun god. Yeah. So, I will render your chief god worthless. 
you will have darkness. Yeah. It was all against the gods of Egypt. And it was a and in and this too is written there, so that you will know I am the God of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. And even for for Christians who perhaps they have some familiarity with Exodus, uh, perhaps they don't. It is worth remembering that the Christian view of Exodus is that this is all a prefiguration of Christ, that the Passover is, well, actually the the passion of Christ happens at the Last Supper happens as a Passover Seder, that Moses is a sort of type, a prefiguration of, of Christ who will set his people free. It, 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 you, you read every single line of Exodus and you can see what Christians are waiting for in the New Testament. And it's all a story of a man by the power of God leading his people to freedom. Well, I'll just add that Christians do themselves a disservice if they don't know the Old Testament well. Remember, I always remind my Christian friends, Jesus didn't know the New Testament. (laughs) He brought it. (laughs) Jesus knew the Torah. (laughs) Right, right. He brought it. Exactly, yes. Right. uh, It's tremendous. You know, I... Providentially, you might say, when when you had suggested, I knew we were going to do a book club episode with you, and, and we said, what book do you want to do, Dennis? And you said, let's do Exodus. Providentially, I happened to have been reading Exodus, and I'm doing Bible in a year, just like I do almost every year, and people always peter out at April or May mm-hmm. or June. So, you, so I've read Genesis and Exodus 7,000 times, and then by the end, you know, you don't get to certain books. This is a book, Exodus is a book, you can and really should come back to time and time again, especially when we think in a, in a really tangible, personal, political way right now. What is freedom? What is happening to our freedom? What does freedom really mean? If we were to even get freedom, which seems to be slipping out of our grasp, what is that freedom for? What are we called to do with it? The answers would seem to be right there. Right there. And right there. So you read, you read this one to understand this one, and you listen to The Dennis Prager Show, and you watch The Book Club. Dennis, this is your second time. It, we need to have you back uh, sometime. Well, I did, by the, the way. I, I, there's a new one in the Rational. This is the Rational Bible. Deuteronomy's coming out later this year, and uh, I, I have one coming out even sooner for Passover is the Rational Passover Haggadah. And, and a lot of Christians are having Passover seders. Hmm. This will explain everything just like the rational Bible does, the rational Passover Haggadah. I don't know when you find time to write these. So that is a great question. <laughs> and the, do you know, you said it tongue in cheek somewhat. But I mean it, but, but I mean but, it. But, yeah. So, because I do a lot and, and I don't think I'm overworked. Hmm. So I have a theory that the busier you are, the more you get done. Hmm. I have two other tricks since you raised the issue. Because I I do a lot. I acknowledge that. It's just a fact. So one is I every single day I take a vacation. I don't wait for two-week vacations. I don't think they're very effective. I take a vacation every day for a couple of hours. Hmm. Just do anything else. I have a million hobbies. Yeah. That's not one. And number two, Sabbath. Hmm. I don't work 24 hours a week. This is really important. And that gives me back my energy. 
it doesn't make me less productive. It makes me more productive yeah. having a Sabbath. An important commandment, actually, that it's in there. our Lord gives us in this book. And an it's actually one. I wish Christians did observe a Sabbath more. It's yeah. a very big problem in Christian life. Yeah. No, there, it's, there's actually a movement now among Christians to say, wait, what happened to the Sabbath? We are called to good, recognize good, this. Good. It's an important thing. Lots of other commandments we're called to recognize. I hope that you can refamiliarize yourselves with them in the book of Exodus if you haven't read it already. Dennis, thank you for being Michael, on. Michael, it's a joy. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Book Club. We'll see you next month. In the meantime, happy reading. Thank you so much for watching this episode of the Book Club on PragerU. PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so we rely on donations from viewers like you to keep this content on the air. Please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today to help keep this content coming. Thank you very much.